This is the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. We are committed to our students being known, knowing Jesus, and becoming kingdom workers. We hope this podcast serves to encourage, challenge, and to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is Green Student Ministries. Make the bad situation better. And I think if, even if you can't bring something to mind of a, a silly situation like that, I think what we all find ourselves in situations where we do this at times with sin, you know, where we find ourselves with an opportunity, we find ourselves with a temptation that we fall into, and then what we do is it continues to snowball and get worse and worse and worse until we find ourselves in a position where we do not know what we're supposed to do. It has gotten so big and so blown out of reality, we never even thought we could get to the place that we find ourselves in. And obviously, Bean found himself in that position um, where he's just observing something, sneezes on it, then wipes, goes to fix the mistake, and finds out that his handkerchief has ink on it, and it makes the picture even worse. So much he pulls it down, and he knocks it out as he's trying to, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And I think when we really take a look at our lives and the temptations that exist in our lives, I think what we do is we find out that that is a good picture of what our lives look like as we fall into temptation, as we see temptation and we fall into it and we continue to try and cover it up. And over the past couple, uh, really the, the, the last almost two months now, we've been looking at the life of King David. And up until this point today, David has been ruling in an incredible way. He has been the leader and the king that Israel has wanted. He was chosen by God because he had a heart that was after God. And he has been, we have seen David as an incredible example of what it looks like to pursue Jesus. But today, we come to the moment where his kingdom begins to shift and change because he finds himself in a position not quite like being with a painting, but in reality with temptation and with sin. And so what I'd love for you to do is go ahead and open up um, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Go ahead and open up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And what we see um, coming off of, of the kindness that David displayed uh, that we looked at last week, what we find now is an interaction that David has with a woman named Bathsheba. And if you have been, um, if you have been connected to church, if you have um, read some of the Bible, you probably are somewhat familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump in today and we're going to dive into this because I think as we look at David's life, what we begin to see is the spirit of God shows us and reveals things in our lives that we need to change. Those moments where we go, yes, I blew it. And instead of responding in the right way, I continued to try and hide and cover up my sin. And so let's jump in there this morning. And so um, we'll, we'll jump right in um, because later we have something. We're going to get in here and try and um, move through this because we want to get everyone out of here so that we can go over to the big room and celebrate one of your peers, Audrey Kirk, getting baptized today. And so let's jump in so that we have time to go celebrate with her and her family and our family in that together. So this is 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says this. 
In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the uh, Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And so here's some context, historical context. Um, It says there, we know that it's springtime. And I love the way that this is written in the springtime of that year, the time when kings would go out to battle. And so in the winter, it wasn't like so cold, but the winter was the rainy season. And so it was difficult for troops and difficult for um, kingdoms to go to battle, to move troops where they needed to go. So kind of kingdoms said, hey, it's, you know, it's winter time, it's hard to travel, let's just take a break. And so um, as you've been going along in your inductive study, um, hopefully these are some observations that you're making, but just wanted to bring a little greater context to what biblical warfare looked like. And so that's where we're at. So he sends out his servant um, and all of Israel to continue to fight with the Ammonites. Verse, Verse two says, and it happened late one afternoon. When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And I love the way that scripture puts that. Verse 2, the first first five words, it happened late one afternoon. I think if we are, as we look at our lives, this is how sin creeps into our lives. And it happened late one afternoon. It's a common occurrence. There is opportunity for temptation and sin in every moment of our lives. It catches us in the every day. It's not like David saw it coming from a mile away. It says, no, and it happened late one afternoon, just a common every day. I like to think that it was a Wednesday, just an average day, and it happened late one afternoon that David arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house. So he's in the palace and he's like, late afternoon, he probably just got up from a, like a kingly nap. And he's like, man, you know, what's going on tonight? What's the plans for that? And he's walking around and as he's walking around on the roof, he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And so first we see here, we see temptation. David just woke up from a nap, maybe just kind of running the kingdom all day. Everybody's off at war. He's taking care of business in the kingdom. And he gets up and he walks around probably maybe, I don't know, maybe to just kind of relax. And as he's looking, he sees a woman who's bathing and that she was very beautiful. Temptation, right there it is. You all know what the temptation of your lives looks like. We don't have to spell that out. You know what the specific temptations of your lives are, whether you are a guy or a girl, whether you're a freshman or a senior, we all have temptations. And this is a temptation that catches David. He sees it, and what does he do? We'll go on as we, as we read on. It says in verse 3, And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And so what he, he says, hey, 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 um, I was up on the roof, and I saw this woman, and, and I want you, uh, does anyone know who she is? Does anyone know who this woman is? And as we read, somebody responds to him. Somebody responds to him and says, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And so here's, here's one of the things as we dig deeper. Like as we, um, so here's the thing I love about God's word. We can read it and we can read this, this, this passage without digging any deeper and it can speak to us. 
But as we begin to dig deeper and as we begin to see, and maybe we look up some of the names. So that's one of the things I found myself this week in my study and preparation. I made an observation. I go, I don't know who these people are. And so I need to go and find out who they are. You know, observation, application, interpretation. Like these are the things that we're going over. We observe things that may ask questions. We observe the text and say, what do I notice? What questions come up? And then we go and find the interpretation of that. What is God telling us? Not me specifically, but what is God telling all of us? Those who read the Bible, what is God telling us from this account? That's our interpretation. What does God want us. What does the Holy Spirit want his people to do because of this? What is the interpretation of this for us? What does it mean? And then we apply it to our lives, and that's where it begins to change for each and every one of us. But as I'm, I'm, I make this observation, and I go, I don't know who either, I don't know who this, this guy is, uh, Eliam. So one of the things as I'm digging through, uh, Eliam is one of David's mighty men. And we'll find out about the, the mighty men specifically in a couple of weeks. But what David did is he brought in these men around him and he called them his mighty men. These were like the best men in the entire nation of Israel. And he said, I want you to be around me. Some of them were warriors. Some of them were counselors. They, he brought them in around him. And Eliam is one of David's mighty men. As we, as we look, at, we'll see it a little bit later. We won't get into it specifically here, but we realize that Eliam is, is the son of another guy named Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was one of David's main counselors. Okay? So we know, uh, don't, don't, don't get lost here, we know that Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam, and the father of Eliam is this guy named Ahithophel. Yeah, I know, I know. Ahithophel. And he is one of David's main counselors. So he sees this woman, and he knows, he knows that she's attractive, and he asks about who he is, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's the daughter of one of the guys who you've brought in close to your life. It's also the granddaughter of the guy who counsels you in a lot of the decisions you make. That's who she is. But he doesn't stop there. He says, also, Uriah the Hittite's wife the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah, David knows him well. He is, one of, he is one of David's mighty men as well. Uriah is a fierce warrior. So here's the thing. David knows who these men are. There's a good chance he knows who Bathsheba is. She is close to the family. And David knows her family well, knows her husband, knows her father, knows her grandfather. So he knows who this is. But when he does, he continues to pursue his temptations. Verse 4, so David sent messengers and took her, and he came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Uh, then she returned to her house. And so what he does is he calls her, he brings her to the palace, and he, he sleeps with her. And so what David does is he sees his temptations, he sees his desires, and he acts upon them. Even though, even though he knows there are potential consequences, that's not in his mind right now. And let's be honest, that's how we are with our temptations. We don't think of the consequences. All we think of is our own desire. We do this. We do this in relationships. We do this in our interactions with our moms and our dads. We do this in how we treat our siblings. 
We know what we want. We know what our desires are, and we go after those, and we don't even begin to think about the consequences, but we do know deep down inside that there will be consequences when we pursue our desires and our temptations in an unhealthy and a sinful way. And that's what David does. He says he sent a messenger, and he brought her. She came to him, and she lay with him. They had sex. Let's, let, let's, not, like, let's not get that confused. It's not like they were sleeping, like, like physically in a bed, sleeping together. Okay? Just want to make sure we're clear there. So says, then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. And so David finds himself in this position where he acts on his own desires and it leads to pregnancy. And now David realizes, uh-oh, there is no easy way to cover this one up. There is no easy way. I, I, I pursued my desires and my temptations. I fell into my desires and my temptations. I continue to pursue them so that I sinned against my own body, against her body, against God. I have sinned. And she comes back. She goes, hey, um, I'm pregnant sends word, and now David finds himself in a moment where he goes, uh, there's no easy way of getting out of this one. And so, like a lot of us, what we do when we find ourselves, when we find out that we've been caught, when we find out we've been pinned in a corner, what we do is we go, hey, I am going to find a way to cover this up. I'm going to find a way to cover this up so that I don't feel the weight of my decisions. I need to find a way to cover this one up. And so he starts to think. It says here in verse 6, So David sent word to Joab. Remember, Joab is, is one of the officials who is at war with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel goes to war. So he sends word. He says, send Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. So David, he pulls him in. He's trying to cover up his sin. So he sends for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And he's super casual about it. He's like, man, hey, Uriah, just how's war going? He pulls us in. He tries to be sneaky as if it's just like, hey, send Uriah so I can find out how everything is going. But in reality, we know that he has ulterior motives. Verse 8, then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the, at the, at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his own house. I mean, here's really like, brass tacks. Here's what it gets down to. David goes, hey, Uriah, you've been at battle. You're home on leave from, you know, permission from the king. And he says, hey, go home, relax. And ultimately he's going, go home and have sex with your wife. Because he knows that that will cover up the problem that just was found out to him. Because there, you know, in his mind, he goes, hey, Uriah, he's going to come home. He's going to be like, man, I was in, I've, been, I've been fighting, and I'm tired, and I'm going to get some rest. And you know, home, going to get some loving from the wife. This is going to be good. And David goes, hey, he's going to have sex with his wife, and then she's going to have this baby eight and a half months down the road. And Uriah's going to be like, I'm a dad. This is awesome. This is my child. Everything's good. And so David devises this plan to do that. And what we see here 
as we, as we observe from this, it says Uriah went out from the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. So David goes, hey, go home. And David sends food and drink to help him relax, probably some, some wine to help him kind of let loose, you know, let his hair down a little bit and just enjoy some time with his wife. You know what I mean? Okay. Following where, you know, you're tracking along here. So he goes, hey, not only am I sending you, I'm going to give you some food and some drink that helps you just kind of just chill. And then you and your wife can enjoy one another. But Uriah, see in verse 9, it says, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go to his own house. We see the character of Uriah here. He is so convicted of his sense of duty. He goes, no, no, no. He's like, how can I go home? Like he's so convicted by his sense of duty. It prevents him from going home and seeing his wife. It prevents him from going home and relaxing because he goes, my nation is under war. My brothers are at war and I'm at home relaxing and enjoying time with my wife, I can't even, no, I cannot do this. My sense of duty is so large, I cannot do what the king has encouraged me to do. So he continues, says, verse 10, when they told David, Uriah did not go to his house, David said to, said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And David's like, um, hello. Like I set it up, like I was, Go home. Like, he doesn't understand. And David's all of a sudden, he's going like, no, no, no. my plan, uh-oh, my plan is starting to not work. He says, why didn't you go home? Why didn't you go rest? Why didn't you, you know, why didn't you go home? Wink, wink. And he's asking him these questions. And Uriah is, is, is finds himself, and it says, Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Uriah goes, hey, hold on a second, David. I understand. He goes, but I love the way that he puts this. He says the ark. So the ark of the covenant is what where essentially that is where the Spirit of God dwelt. Remember David wanted to create a palace, create a, a temple for, the, for, for God to dwell in? He wanted to do that because God dwelled in the ark. And it was a temporary thing that could be moved. And so we see that it's in booths. So it's, it's semi-permanent structures, semi-permanent structures. And he says that the Lord is there and all of Israel and all of Judah is there. And so he says, how can I knowingly, knowing what my fellow nation, my brothers, my God is doing, how can I go and enjoy some comfort and rest? He says, and that's where they are. But Joab, who's in the fight, they're living in temporary structures. They, you know, they set up camp, they fight a battle, they win, they tear down camp, and they continue the campaign forward. He goes, that's where my brothers are. He goes, how can I find myself come home and get rest in my own bed when my brothers, when the people that I fight for and with, that the nation of Israel is sleeping uncomfortably every single night while at war? And so he says, shall I then go to my house to drink 
and eat and to lie with my wife? He says, I can't do that. As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So David's plan, his perfect plan that he had it all figured out, isn't beginning to unravel the way that he thought it would. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. He goes, hey, you want to go back with your brothers? I get it. You are, I'm going to send you back tomorrow. Rest here today and go back tomorrow. And so he prepares him. He says, remain here today, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him. And he ate in his, in, the, in his presence, and he drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. And so David goes, this is my last shot. I'm sending him back tomorrow, so I've got one more night to wine and dine him with the hopes of, you know, whining him so much, he becomes drunk, he starts to lose control, and he goes, you know what, I'm focused on one thing, I've got to go find my wife. That's David's plan. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wine and dine Uriah so that he gets drunk. And when he gets drunk, uh, let's, you know, as we can look around culture and understand, when guys get drunk, their mind focuses on two things, food and something else, food and sex. And he goes, well, I'm going to feed him so he's not going to be hungry, so he's going to want to go home with his wife. So David devises another plan to get Uriah drunk with the hopes that he would go home and sleep with his wife to cover up the sins that David had committed. But we find out that he, he succeeds, David succeeds in getting him drunk. But Uriah, once again, he shows off who he is, not by you know, his outward actions, but just how he responds to this. And it says that he slept on a couch for the night, and he did not go back and spend time with his wife. And so David's like, I got, man, this was a perfect plan. I was going to cover up my sin. Everything was going to be good, but... Now what do I do? And so we see verse 14. It says, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. David goes, Hey, it didn't work out. Uriah has no idea what's going on. He thinks, he is convinced that he is doing what the king has instructed him to do as a mighty man, as one of David's closest like, I'm not going to say David and Uriah were best friends, but they knew each other well. Uriah was committed to David, and David knew that, and he pulled him in close. And he finds himself in the situation, so he says, Uriah, it's time to head back to the, to the front lines. And what he does is he sends him with a letter. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Uriah is going back to fight the battle with a letter. And when, a, when, a, when a, a king would write a letter, um, he would write it and he would seal it with wax so that, so that if it was ever taken and delivered, the person who was supposed to get it would know if the, if the seal was broken, would know if it was read. And so Uriah, because he's of good character, because he's one of David's mighty men, because he can trust David, because they've been fighting and working together for the kingdom, he takes this letter to Joab. And what he doesn't realize is what he is delivering to Joab is his own execution notice. But he's a good man. He's got good character. He trusts the king. And it says, this letter, this letter says, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting. 
So wherever, wherever the battle is the fiercest, I want you, Officer Joab, to send Uriah to the front, leading everyone into battle. And when it's the fiercest, wherever it's the hardest, where we're losing the most troops, where it's the hardest ground to gain, I want you to send Uriah to the front. And as soon as he gets up and the enemy starts to come forward, I want you to draw everyone else back so that he will die. This is David's plan. This is what David has come to, to cover up his sin. This is what David has come to, to cover up his sin. It's my, my prayer that none of us have ever thought about killing someone because it would hopefully cover up our sin. But I think what we do is we destroy people by trying to cover up our sin. Reputations and relationships and trust. And so, uh, verse 16, says, And Joab was besieging the city. He assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men, the fiercest fighters. Verse 17, And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. And so what we see here is David sends this message. And Joab goes, all right, here we go. It's time to go. Joab goes, message received. I'm sending Uriah out to die. But Uriah, I'm sorry, but, but Joab knows that the way that David encouraged him to, to do this would draw attention. Be like, that was weird, Joab. Why'd you send everybody in there and then draw everyone back at the same time to leave Uriah to die? And so what we, what we find here is that it says that Joab some of the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell, Uriah the Hittite also. And so Joab sends and tells David all about the fighting. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall, archers that is, who killed Abimelech and the son of Jeru? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near to the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. And so essentially what it is, is Joab knows. He changed the plan. He changed David's plan because he knows if he sends Uriah in and pulls everybody out, everybody else will be like, that was kind of weird. Why didn't he tell Uriah? It would cause division within the nation and within the army of Israel. So Joab begins to change the plan. He sends them in. He knows, hey, for this to look like uh, David wants it to look, we're going to have to lose some men. And we find out that Uriah dies, but also some valiant men, some of the best, some of the most elite warriors that the nation of Israel has. Uh, experts think, theolo uh, theologians and historians think it was about 18 valiant men, some of the best warriors. 18 were lost because of this. And so he sends message back. He goes, but hey, don't, when, you get to, when you get to King David, and if he goes, well, why did, why, why did we lose the good men? It was just Uriah. He's going to point to maybe, you know, as, as we see this account of this man with, that a millstone was dropped, that's back from the book of, of Judges, where he got too close to the wall as they're trying to take over new territory. He got too close to the wall, and a woman throws a millstone off the wall, and it crushes this man. He's going to be like, David's going to be like, didn't we learn from that, that we shouldn't get too close to the wall? Like, the archers are going to get you, like, women are going to throw millstones. He says, if he asks you that, if he starts to grow frustrated, if he starts to grow in rage, 
because we lost good men. Hopefully this will come. Let let them know that Uriah is dead. Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent, sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Of the gate. When the archers shot at your servants from the wall, some of the, king's servants are, uh, some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. This messenger goes, I'm just going to, I'm giving it all. I'm not waiting for him to get pressured. I'm going to just say, hey, Uriah the Hittite is dead. So David finds out, report comes in, that Uriah is dead. And David's response, David's response to this is not what they thought it would be, because his plan worked. And here's one of the things that I love. There is, there is in, in this account, there are five times where Uriah is referred to as Uriah the Hittite. And I think that the author did that intentionally, that the Holy Spirit, as was inspiring the author of 2 Samuel to write this, did that with intentionality and with purpose. Uriah the Hittite means that he was not born of Hebrew blood. But he was a man who was committed to the Lord, an avid worshiper of the Lord. That's who Uriah was. But a man who was not of Hebrew acted in a way that was more of character and more honorable than the king of Israel himself who God appointed. I think as the author is writing that is almost to say, hey, the king of Israel did not act honorably, but this man adopted into the nation of Israel acted more honorably than the king in this moment. Showing us who Uriah is. And so it finishes up with this. Message comes in and David finds himself uh, in verse 25, it says, David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. He sends message back, be like, no, this is what it is. No problem, bro. All good. David's saying, I don't care what it cost us to cover up my sin. Now this is hidden in his heart. Only him and one other person know really what's going on, him and Bathsheba. And he goes, he goes, what, what was that? Eight, oh, 18 men? Best warriors? That's fine. My sin's covered. I'm good. I'm good. Thank. Hey, when you send, when you get back to Joab, let him know. Great job. You're getting a promotion when you're coming home. How many times do we do this? We find out that our agenda is moved forward that our sin has been covered once again. We don't care what it costs other people. We don't care the hurt that we inflict on others. We don't care the trust that we may potentially lose. All we care about is covering up what our sin is. We talked about this a couple of weeks. This is why this is why abortion is such a heavy topic. Because it's, I am not willing to deal with my sin and my actions. This is why murder is on such a hot topic. This is why it is so prevalent because people go, I'm not going to deal with my problems. I'm going to destroy my problems. I'm not going to deal with my sin. I'm going to add on to it and hopefully cover it up. This is why 
let's, if we're honest, this is why I believe there are so many students who deal with anxiety and depression because we are not willing to deal with our sin. Now, I'm not saying your anxiety and your depression are a result of your sin, but I think some of it is. Because we don't want to deal with our sin. We just want to cover it up. I think this is the problem with why we can't all get along because we are only focused on ourselves very much like David is to find out that some of his best warriors were killed in battle because of his orders to kill one individual. And his, his response is, encourage him. This is the equivalent of like the LeBron five before a game. Like tell him like, I got, you're good. We're good on this one. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. We, we, we found this out a couple of weeks ago, that lamented is mourning. She mourns for the death of her husband. It says, and when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her into his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. So David, once again, he goes, hey, a fierce, a fierce warrior one of my mighty men died. What am I going to do? The nation goes, oh my goodness, how compassionate is King David? Uri Uriah died and Bathsheba was left as a widow and David brought her into his palace. This was an honorable thing to do, but it was all, it was all under the veil of David's sin. It wasn't because he had compassion. It was because he had conviction and he didn't want others to see that. Right here, it ends. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God saw it. He knew what was going on. David thinks at this moment, he goes, it is all better. It's all good. I got it covered. This is awesome. But God, we see here, it says the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. We've all done this in our own way. We lead lives and we live our lives not concerned about consequences or not concerned about engaging in sinful behavior, not concerned about who we hurt or who we bring along or who we bury. We've all been there. Maybe the things that we say, might be the way that we treat others, might be the interactions that we have with others. I don't know what it is for you, but I believe that you know what it is, the place that you're trying to cover up your sin. And as you guys read in, 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 in the chapter 12, God sends the prophet Nathan. He sends the prophet Nathan um, to, to tell David what, what really happened, to say, hey, I saw what was going on. And, he, and David hears it from Nathan in this way where Nathan explains it in, in, a, in a parable. He says, there was this man, there were these two men, and, and the one man took the, the other man's only sheep and sacrificed it because he was not willing to give up his own. And David says, that man deserves to die. Bring that man to me. As the king of the nation, I will put him to death for what he has done. And Nathan goes, that man is you, David. And all of a sudden, in that moment, because he had some accountability in his life, he had somebody who loved him enough to say, hey, you are blowing it. I know about your sin, and you need to clean it up. You can't keep covering it up. You need to get in there. You need to seek forgiveness. You need to repent. You need to go to God. And in that moment, David understands what he has done. He understands the incredible results of his sin and his temptation. He finally has clarity and understands his sin. And what we see in, in Psalm 51, it's David's response 
to this whole situation. And we see in that David repents and he seeks forgiveness. And that's where we see the difference between the kingdom of Saul and the kingdom of David. Saul was never willing to seek for forgiveness and repent and turn from his ways. He continued to cover it over and over and over again. But David, when he becomes aware of what he has done, when he has some accountability, somebody that loves him enough to say, you are totally blowing this one. You got to quit doing that. I love you too much to watch you continue to walk down this path. You cannot continue to lie to your parents like that. You cannot continue to have sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You cannot continue to engage in these things. You cannot continue to treat your brothers and your sisters that way. You cannot continue to take those drugs. They're going to ruin you. What we need to do is what David does. When we understand, we go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize this. When it comes to the reality of where we are, we have to say, hey God, I need to repent. And repent is a fancy word that means to change your mind, to turn. He said, I was pursuing these things and I need to repent. I need to change my mind and I need to find a new thing to pursue. And that thing is a person and it's Jesus. And I need to seek forgiveness. And the great thing about Jesus is we always find forgiveness because of what he did for us on the cross. And in just a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity to experience this, a symbol of that forgiveness, a symbol of that washing and that cleansing that we receive from Jesus and Jesus alone in baptism. So we have the opportunity to observe that. But as we do, I want you to think about it. I want you to begin to talk about it with those that are closest to you. The things in your life that you know you are trying to cover up, bring them up and let's begin to work towards them. Repent, change your mind. Say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to follow my own temptations. I am going to follow Jesus. And Jesus, I need you to forgive me. Think about those things in your life where you need to see and give it over to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these, these, these accounts that bring us to the forefront where we go, whoa, this is about David, but it's really about me. It's really about my sin. This account and this this story, it shows me David, but what it really does is it shows me who I really am and how badly I need Jesus. The things that I I hide and that that I cover up. So Jesus, help us. Help us. By the power of your spirit, Help us to see these things. Help us to have people in our lives that will help us see these things, that we will repent, we will seek forgiveness. We know you offer it. Help us to be humble enough to come to you seeking it. Thank you for your love. Thanks for listening to the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chaplain Green. If you have any questions, feel free to contact us at gsm at thechapel.life or follow us on Instagram at Green Student Ministries. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.